So Tucker Carlson was right. The NSA was spying on him. But actually, the NSA was just doing what the NSA does, and he was a part of it. Yeah, but if he was a part of it, why was his name outed? There's a story here, and in no way does Tucker look bad. Oh, he overplayed his hand. No, I don't think that's the case. I think if he had not made such a declaration, people would not have looked into it. If they didn't look into it, they wouldn't have seen, my gosh, the man is correct. This is a story about how Tucker Carlson was trying to get Vladimir Putin on his show. Tony Katz, great to be with you. Tony Katz today on Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. The phone number, 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. We should try and get Vladimir Putin on this show. Just to see if producer Ari gets lit up by the NSA. I'm not doing it. So Tucker is trying to get Vladimir Putin on the show and going through whatever the the uh, the, the systems are in order to make that happen because that's not an easy thing to do. Supposedly talking to U.S.-based Kremlin intermediaries. Who reports this? Jonathan Swan of Axios. Now follow here. A reporter now knows that Tucker Carlson was reaching out to get an interview with with the Kremlin with Vladimir Putin. So the NSA, doing what the NSA does, is monitoring phone calls. And yes, they're monitoring conversations that involve certain Russian uh, diplomats. And if you're talking to that Russian diplomat... They're listening to that call and recording that call. This goes without saying. One of the arguments that can be made is that this is exactly what the intelligence community should be doing. The issue, of course, is why would anybody know Tucker Carlson's name? It's not germane to the conversation. The only thing that would matter is, is if the call involved some kind of conversation that had an issue to do with national security. Something that would involve the future welfare of the United States. This was about an interview. So yes, the NSA was listening to him. Now one can clearly argue, well, of course they were listening. You were on the call with you were talking to Russians. Well, that might explain why they were listening, but it does not explain why his name is out there. Why is his name out there in the sphere? Why would it be necessary for it to be something that's known? One of the great write-ups on this is over in National Review. David Harsanyi, was Tucker Carlson spied on? And the answer is maybe, that's me saying it, but as, he, as Harsanyi puts it, and puts it very, very well, the NSA regularly overcollects on domestic transmissions of American citizens. And there is no oversight. And we've already seen such a thing, that there is no oversight. But if you leaked his name, how is that not criminal? Tucker has a case. And you'll note the, the, the lengths to which the political left goes after Tucker Carlson.
Now, I, I say this clearly. I've done Tucker Carlson's show before. I have met with him in his office before. This was years ago. Uh, we're not friends. We're, we're, we're not friends. And if I saw him on the street, I'd say hello. And maybe he'd remember me and we'd talk. If he, if he wanted to grab a beer, I'd grab a beer with the man without question. But to, to, you know, we're not talking on the phone. I, I, I just want to make sure I'm always clear and open and honest about those things. But there's no doubt that Tucker, in his position on Fox, has turned the corner, and this has been going on for about a year, from doing those interviews with people who are so in over their head, they don't know when is up. I actually couldn't watch Tucker when he first came on. The interviews were too brutal. He had on these guests who were lightweights, who had no way of explaining themselves, no way of getting their point across, and he beat the living snot out of those people. He beat them like it was his job. He beat them like he was Mike Tyson in Punch-Out. I didn't find it enjoyable. But one of the things that Tucker's been able to do, he is not reacting. He is putting forth the ideas and doing it well. He's been successful at this, and this is one of the reasons why the political left hates him so very, 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 very much. And when he sees that the NSA is listening in, he's got to wonder who's doing what, where, when, why, and how. And I think a lot of other people would. But it's only a secondary story right now. Because the primary story is Tucker saying we should have cameras in the classrooms. That way parents can know what is being taught to their children. Mark Levin has said the same thing. And as it was written, he picked up the idea from a guy by the name of Thomas Lifson over an American thinker. Cameras in the classroom. Now, I look at the idea of cameras in the classroom, and I say to myself, if you need cameras in the classroom, you need new teachers. That's, that, that is my default. That's, that's where I go. However, we put cameras on cops. Well, you got to make sure that everything's being done by the book. If you take your dog, I forgot who put this on Twitter, but this was good. If you take your dog and you put your dog in a boarding facility, right, a kennel, you're going to be away for the weekend, video camera on your dog so you can see your puppy, but not your kids. If you want to keep an eye on your kids, that's Orwellian or that's disgusting. How dare you treat teachers this way as if somehow kids shouldn't be protected from teachers who sometimes do things wrong. And sometimes sexually wrong. Am I accusing teachers of being harmful to students? No, I am not. I'm saying that we clearly have the news, we have the stories, we have the facts that sometimes some teachers, the very, very small minority of teachers, act in an improper way. But that could be reason enough for parents to want to know what's going on. Critical race theory, anti-racism, which is racism. Anti-racism is racism. You understand that, right? Anti-racism states that you uh, you fight discrimination with discrimination, and you fight future discrimination with discrimination. That's where they get the idea of the oppressed and the oppressor, and that's where they strip away the individual and leave only the color of skin behind, and therefore you are guilty because of connectivity, regardless of whether you know somebody else who may have done something wrong or not. You're guilty because of your existence. That's anti-racism. That's Ibram Kendi. I don't care in what dulcet tones the man speaks. A bigot is a bigot is a bigot, no matter how he presents his information.
parents may want to be aware of what's going on. I think this is an interesting conversation. And the part that interests me is not the part where people say, well, whoa, if there's a camera in the classroom and now there's some weirdo I was able to watch my, my child in the classroom, uh, that's weird. Okay, sure. But I want to know why it's an affront to, to teachers. Cops have to do it. We're on video all the time, everywhere. Uh, what's so wrong with parents being able to keep an eye on their kid? I want the teachers union to explain the problem. Why is it okay in every other situation, but it's not okay here? The real question for the teachers union is one that so cuts to the bone, it's actually hard to say out loud. But allow me, because this is kind of my thing. To the teachers union, and to the teachers who think that it is an affront and disgusting and Orwellian to put a camera in, in, in the classroom. Remember, they want to put cameras in the Supreme Court. I oppose that, by the way. Oh, don't get me wrong. I would love to sit in on Supreme Court arguments. It's got to be amazing. When they share audio of Supreme Court arguments, it's, it's so cool. It's so cool. When that happens, it's unreal. I'd love to see it. I just don't think it should be there. The question for the administrators, the question for the unions, and the question for the teachers who oppose cameras in the classroom. Here's the question. What makes you so special? That's the question that needs answering. And I, and I want the answers. 833-468-8669. 833-GOT-TONY. Twitter, at Tony Katz. We need an answer to that question. Because within that answer, you're going to watch teachers, uh, union heads, others fall down and fall apart. And I got to tell you, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pro-teacher. In that, I like treating teachers like professionals. I don't believe every teacher is involved in this madness that we're seeing across the country. I think some of them are really and truly screwed. For my own children, school-age children... I am thrilled, overjoyed with the education they're getting and how much they have liked their teachers over the last year. Like, like them on, 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 on a multiple uh, of levels. And there have been years, no, not every teacher has worked for them. Not every teacher has been great. They've said so. Yeah, that sounds normal. When, when uh, my, I, I must have been in ninth grade, my brother, my older brother was in 11th grade, and there was a physics teacher that was giving my brother a hard time. And my parents went in to talk to him. My, pa my parents had to go talk to a teacher? My, my mother every now and then spoke to someone. My father went into a meeting? That's insane. That didn't happen. Went into to, to the meeting, and in the meeting... The physics teacher decided he had had enough and walked out. Walked out on my parents. And my parents turned to my brother and said, uh, yeah, don't worry about your grade. It's fine. Just move on. Guy, guy, guy's a jerk, and, and, and that's all there is to it. Parents have taken an interest in their child's education for years. 
Yet, what do we do now? We 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 say, uh, oh, you want to be interested in your kid's education? Oh, you're 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 a bigot, or you're or you're with QAnon, which was the the Joy Reid thing uh, just the other day. Oh, you 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 want to get elected to the school board? You must be with QAnon. Ridiculous. Parents are interested in their child's education. So why would any teacher be opposed with a video camera in the classroom? Well, things happen in the classroom and sometimes mistakes are made. Yes, yes, sometimes mistakes are made. But we'll decide whether or not the mistake is egregious. Isn't that what we do with police officers? Isn't that what we do in every other segment of society? Look, here here we are. <laughs> here, here it is, guys. This has been brought up by more than one person. It's been brought up in a couple of ways. And what I'm looking for is the answer to the question, what makes you so special? Why shouldn't you have a camera on you? Why can't parents know what's going on in the classroom? You don't even want to send home the books. Parents shouldn't see the books. Good Lord. Good Lord. Let them turn themselves into pretzels. I look forward to the answer that will never come. But the idea... All right, I admit I'm not thrilled by it. But it ain't the worst idea in the world. I'm Tony Katz. So gas prices are through the roof. I mean, they're astronomical. And there's no one talking about the fact that they're coming down. So what does Joe Biden do? Well, uh, uh, talks about gas taxes. $100 billion a year, not a year, $400 billion over this period, which is enough to pay for the child, child, child care tax credit. If we end tax breaks for fossil fuels and make polluters pay to clean up the messes they've made, that would raise $90 billion. I'm not asking them to do anything that, that is unfair. Just not going to subsidize them anymore. They're doing well, thank, thank you. And the messes they made, they should clean hundreds so billion. So perfectly clear, he's talking about tax increases. I'm fine with saying get rid of subsidies. I want to get rid of subsidies everywhere. But those prices then get transferred over to us. Now, if you say to me, hey, we're already paying in the subsidy. Okay, just get ready for what's coming. A guy who doesn't understand economics, a guy who clearly has no way of dealing with these gas issues, uh, believes that solar can save us when it can't, and is now looking to raise prices on you. Tony Katz, great to be with you, Tony Katz, today. But that actually isn't the craziest thing I have heard or read all day. Your car's seatbelt, safety miracle? or decapitation nightmare. What is the connection between rain and farming? The answer may surprise you. Heroin, sex, machine guns, flamethrowers, murder. There's no story here. We've just found that ratings go up when we say those words. It's time for the worst headline of the day. CNBC reporting. The upside to inflation? Rising wages. That's an actual headline from an actual organization that claims to be about markets. The upside 
to rising inflation is people will get paid more. But the money won't do them any good because of the rising inflation. And it's also predicated on the idea that somehow, magically, inflation means you get a raise. Maybe you haven't noticed what's happened in America. Yes, people are getting back to work. Not fast enough. We have the chance for this great V recovery and or super V, and it's only halfway there, and now things are sputtering. And you got you got the jobless claims. Those are up. Those were over 370,000. The Dow, I mean, the Dow's been up. It's been down. It's down 500. Now it's down 260. Jobless claims, meaning people are filing first-time jobless, first-time unemployment, that's up this week. There's issues. People are going to get paid more. There's no, there's no basis for this. There's no, there's, what is the economics? By the way, another telling bit of economics, Wells Fargo has announced that it's shuttering all personal credit lines. I, I I read this and said, this is, I'm not even sure what this means. Shutting down all existing personal lines of credit in the coming weeks. So the credit lines, which are like three to $10,000, um, it's not necessarily a home equity line of credit. It's a personal credit line. Um, they're discontinuing personal and portfolio lines of credit and closing all existing accounts. Now someone tell me, is that because of fear that people will take out the line of credit to have the cash and not pay it back because things are going to fall apart? This is a move to ensure they don't have millions upon millions of dollars out on the street? Because it seems to me to be a move to ensure that they don't have millions and millions of dollars out on the street. And people who are looking to bring about that, that line of credit so they can have more cash on hand? Maybe they're not getting the raise that CNBC is talking about because of inflation. Silver lining. The price of silver may go up, though. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. Be sure to like the page and find everything at TonyKatz.com. This is Tony Katz Today. I'm a fellow of the Mitch Daniels Leadership Foundation. Mitch Daniels, the former governor of Indiana and president of Purdue University. And and part of, of becoming a fellow was about uh, figuring out where you think you can make an impact in, in, in where you live. How, and, and how do you engage uh, that, that impact? My, uh, call it my project, right? My ending project. The thing that I'm like, this is where... I think we can work on is the idea of civics. The idea that we focus on the importance of languages. You need two years of a foreign language to graduate high school, but what do we require from civics education? And how do we expect a society to know what its rights are and what its abilities are if they don't know what their rights are and their abilities are? Without a, a, a civics education, without an understanding of, of those ground rules and those basics, how can you properly advocate for yourself? 
I, th- I think I'm on to something there. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good uh, to be with you. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. Parlor, Instagram, Twitter. Tony Katz is where you find me. Amber Northern joins me right now, Senior Vice President for Research at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. They putting out a report, the state of state standards for civics and U.S. history in 2021. And some of the things about this report kind of freaking me out uh amber good to have you with us let's start with the baseline let us start with the basics when you do a report looking into understanding uh, and or talking about civics in u.s history what is the baseline how do you at uh at, at fordham at the thomas b fordham institute define such a thing Yes, thanks for the question. Love love that we're going to have this discussion. So we are looking at things like most Americans, fingers crossed, we think agree that kids in K-12 education need to know. I mean, this is not esoteric information. It's the colonial period, the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, both World Wars, the Cold War, the post-Cold War, uh, seminal documents. Again, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Gettysburg Address. So, you know, we think that there's critical periods of our nation's history and seminal documents upon which the country was founded and evolved that kids should be exposed to. And on the civic side, again, it's, it's, it's very basic concepts like what are the three branches of government and what do those three branches do? How do they overlap? What is, what is the separation of powers? What is the rule of law? Um, how does, you know, state and local government basically work? What are civil liberties? What's due process? What's equal protection mean? How do our elections work? Uh, what's the role of government? What are the responsibilities of citizens? So, so they're all the things the that we would things we're talking about normally and naturally apply to civics. We didn't go out of left field and create a new bit of of uh, definition. We went with the definition that that we all basically understand and, and accept. So when you go about a study like this, this idea of saying how are the states doing. In, in the idea of, of civics, you found five jurisdictions that got an exemplary rating based on A grades. Mm-hmm. You got 20 states that you ranked as inadequate, getting D or F grades. So as you're That's grading right. them, what was that criteria? So, again, we wanted to see that they had some of those, you know, most of those big buckets of information and content that I just sketched out for you. Um, but other than the, the meat, we also wanted to know whether they were covering certain dispositions, dispositions in civics. So in other words, and this is key for the, the debate we're having now nationally and all the infighting and polarization that we see, but do kids learn to respect other people's opinions regardless of their background, and do they learn to engage civilly with opinions that differ from their own so that was a key one. Do they show a commitment to American institutions and ideals? How do you teach that? You know, that we're, our country was founded on freedom, justice, and equality, and that we're still, you know, evolving and, and, and realizing those goals and those ideals. And also, um, are we teaching kids to learn, participate, and serve, you know, in their country? I mean, advocating the welfare of others. What do you do in your community to, to enhance its it's, um, you know, it's success in terms of voting and participation and that sort of thing. So that's what that's what we're looking at. And again, like you just teed it up for me, only five um, states and jurisdictions across the country. By the way, both red and blue, um, we saw those A's. So, you know, what we say is, you know what, 
no matter your politics, if people from both sides of the aisle want to come together and write accurate and fair history standards and U.S. history standards, it can be done. It's not done all the time. Again, we had 20 failing grades, um, but it can be done. So, um, so we, we want to encourage states, you know, if you're one of these Fs, hey, get it right. Talking to Amber Northern, Senior Vice President for Research at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Let's go through these grades. Because when we talk about the A grades on civics education, this is a mind scramble. Your A grades, these were actually all A minuses, but uh, we'll we'll, we'll Mm -hmm. give it to them. Alabama, California, the District of Columbia, Massachusetts, and Tennessee. You Mm -hmm. You went right or you went left and you got your choices. People look at California today and they say that is not an example of civics or as you discussed mm-hmm. the idea of being able to have conversations. That's a civility conversation, a la people like Edward Schills, things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Were, were any of the, those kinds of results surprising to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, hey, I think they were surprising to anyone on the right or left, no matter where you stood, because we all have these notions of what we think is going on. We look at the news. Um, we hear all these debates, and that's why it was so important for us to do this, because these are actually, this is what's on the books, you know, that state policymakers and state departments of, of education are saying, this is what we want kids to, to know and, and be able to do. Now, it's not to say that these things might look different in another five or seven or even ten years, because as we found out since we released this report, so many states, because of these crazy debates and, and arguments we're having, are re visiting their civics and U.S. history standards. So we're like, oh, my goodness, let's not mess up, you know, the A and B states. You know, just make sure that you keep what's working. You're sure you can improve areas, but don't get into these ideological wars uh, and make this thing, uh, make these things biased. That, that is definitely the concern. And that, that is the concern for, for so many parents as they take a look at bias and take a look at things like how critical race theory is being discussed in schools. That's not the conversation we're going to get into, but it certainly does go to the idea of what exactly is being taught and how it is being taught. So you look at a California school and you're telling the rest of America they are properly teaching the founding of America in California, Mm -hmm. as they are in Alabama. And people, I think, look at that, like myself, and go, nah, I don't believe you. (laughs) Well, they ought to read our report, because, um, hey, we've got five to six pages of detailed uh, information about what exactly is in Alabama's and California's standards. And I tell you what they do, this is where so many states fail, is because they're scared of offending someone, they just give you mush. You know, you end up with these state these standards like, you know, discuss how um, disputes inform how government evolves or something like that. And it's like, what in the world are we talking about? You know, I mean, we need to actually name people, places and events uh, and particular skills that we want kids to know and be able to do. And so a lot of states that just say, you know what, we're going to bury our head in the sand because we know if we name a person, place or event, somebody's going to have a problem with it. But that's no way to to run a state education system. So if to its credit, California is probably one of the most detailed sets of state standards across the country. Um, and again, uh, they they hit it. They, they went through the middle. They they managed to get it right. I mean, is it perfect? No, they got an A minus and we definitely spell out the uh, the shortcomings of the standards. But again, uh, right and left states uh, managed to get A's and, and it can be done. 
Hey, my my Indiana was a B plus in civics and a B in history, according uh, to your list. But you head down to the bottom. Uh, our, our neighbor there uh, to the west, Illinois, an F for civics and an F for U.S. history. Same with Delaware. Same with Maine. Exactly as you see it, what are they doing wrong in in, in their uh, approach? Yeah. So, again, giving us mush, not actually naming anything or anyone to avoid anybody getting, getting offended. And the other problem we see is for some states, they seem to think like little kids can't begin to learn in the early grades. They're giving them things like, you know, the flag and what, 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 sim, what patriotic symbols are. And that's all well and good. But come on, kids are little sponges in first, second, and third grade, and they should be learning a lot more. They can begin to get exposed to the idea of the three branches of government in the earliest grades. And in some cases, states are just kicking the can down the road and not waiting and waiting till kids get into late middle school or high school before they give them any meat on the bones relative to history and civics. So we're really disappointed in the uh, in the states, many of which you named, that just give you know mush uh, to to the to the our, our, our young kids. Before I let you go, Amber Northern, senior vice president for research at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Is there a difference between how the uh, the regulations, if you will, are spelled out? Mm-hmm. Here are the standards. Here's how we do things. And then how the actual classroom assignment and classroom teaching goes. Meaning just because mm-hmm. California spells it out well, does mm-hmm. that mean they're mm-hmm. applying it in with that same level of detail and, right. and scrutiny and, 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 yeah. and, and, and earnestness in the classroom? It's a great question. I'm so glad you asked that because usually folks are not asking me that question. It points out a wonderful distinction that your listeners need to be aware of, which is that these are standards. It's a roadmap. They're guideposts. But again, we should all know, if we know our Constitution, that educating children is a, is, is a matter of state government. So once these standards, uh, once the state lays out these broad guidelines, then the local school districts and the localities are then free to adopt their own curriculum. And so that's where, you know, on the ground, you end up putting the meat on the bones around what these broad guidelines that the state has given you. So absolutely, even if they spell these things out, we don't have, you know, hundreds of evaluators or reviewers sitting in the back of classrooms in California actually seeing, you know, how teachers are approaching these, uh, these standards. So implementation matters. Implementation matters more than anything else. And so you can have a state with an F in standards and you can walk into a U.S. history classroom and a teacher is super talented. And boy, you want to be in that teacher's classroom because she makes it exciting. And you're writing a letter as if you're Lincoln on the eve of, of you know, giving the Gettysburg address and or whatever cool thing they're having kids do. Um, so in, 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 in 30 it, seconds can, or less, this is the argument. work in the hands of a talented teacher or, or vice versa. Like you're saying, if the standards are an A or a B and they're really top notch, but you walk into the classroom and the teacher just doesn't have any training and, and hasn't done her homework, uh, it can be a dismal failure. This is the argument for parents being involved in their kids' education. Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, go to your, go to your school board meetings, ask questions, look at your, hey, plug for my report. Go to FordhamInstitute.org, click on your state, and actually see what your state requires your kids to learn in history and civics. FordhamInstitute.org. That's where you can find the study. Amber Northern, Senior Vice President for Research at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. I appreciate you taking the time. I've got more. I'm Tony Katz. 
So am I going to put another bet on the Olympics knowing that I missed out on my first bet? Because I had bet that the Olympics wasn't going to happen. You took a look at what was going on with, with Japan. You took a look at how they were reacting to, to uh, COVID cases. Uh, and you weren't even sure that, that people were going to be allowed to the games. And then they said, you know, we're not going to allow people from other countries to the games in terms of the fans. But we're going to allow our own people. We've sold a lot of, of tickets. And I said, all right, I guess they're going to go forward this, with this thing. But really, it's the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, going forward with this thing. And NBC, because they got to get their money. They spent money for these games. They got to make their ducats. Well, now Japan has announced there will be no fans, no spectators at the games. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. You can already smell the cluster on the wall. This is going to be a mess. Hot garbage. Hot, woke garbage. And I wonder how many people in the U.S., how many of those athletes are going to be woke when there's no one there to cheer them on. The state of emergency in place in Japan runs through August 22nd. The Olympics begin on July 23rd, run through August 8th, and the Paralympics take place August 24th. They're looking at the impact of the Delta strain. I'm going to get into the whole Lambda strain thing in a bit. Stay tuned for that. In order to prevent the resurgence of infections from spreading across the country, we need to step up virus prevention measures. Lockdowns, 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 lockdowns. Don't they know that this doesn't work? The recent state of emergency is a request for bars, restaurants, and karaoke parlors serving alcohol to close. Banning alcohol is how they tone down the Olympic-related festivities. They already are telling the athletes you can't fraternize with each other. You've, you've, you've got 20-somethings in the physical prime of their life not fraternizing with one another. Sure. That's going to work out great. That's going to work out just fine. As, as the stories go, the distribution of condoms at the Olympic Games is in and of itself an Olympic event. It's insane what goes on. It's, it's the Olympics during the day, and it's the bangathon at night. Too soon? No? We're good. We'll, we'll take that? Good. I don't know how you're going to stop these things. All I know is an Olympics and opening ceremonies with no fans? An Olympics with no fans? It's, uh, they, should, they should have had it three months ago. Well, well, you already delayed. What would it have mattered? Nah, I can't. I can't imagine that NBC is going to feel good about getting their dollars back. I can't imagine they're going to be like, you know what? This this was a fine investment that we made right here. Well, you know, it's not necessarily their fault. But I love how everyone's going forward. Putting lives at risk for dollars. Is no one going to discuss this? That's what they're doing. Putting lives at risk so they can make a couple of bucks. NBC and the IOC. Putting profits ahead of people. I don't know about you, but I'm disgusted. Isn't this how, isn't this how, you're, how you be woke? Am I not? Am I, I, I've been listening to all the woke 
classes, man. I, I, I the podcast and everything. I, I thought I had it right. Ah, uh, it's not easy. It's not easy. No, I'm not a fan of Marjorie Taylor Greene, but if we're going to go after her, we're going to have ourselves a little bit of consistency. That story is coming up. This is Tony Katz today.